You're listening to the Outdoor Photography Podcast, Episode 3. Today, we're sitting down with Chase Tucker, who helps people like you and me get into hiking shape so that we can hit the trails more comfortably with our cameras. Today, we talk about how to prevent injuries, how to reduce knee pain, safety while hiking alone, the mental health benefits of connecting with nature, and so much more. So stay tuned. Hi, I'm Brenda Petrella, the creator of Outdoor Photography School. Join me as I sit down with top landscape and nature photographers and outdoor industry experts to chat about creativity, composition, photography tips and techniques, essential gear, safety in the outdoors, respect for nature, and so much more. Tune in every week to learn how to create compelling and impactful images while exploring and enjoying the natural world. Welcome to the Outdoor Photography Podcast. Hey everybody, Brenda Petrella here, and I'm really excited to bring you today's guest, who is Chase Tucker from Basecamp Training. I first came across Chase's training programs a couple of years ago after I was recovering from knee surgery and hiking had become quite painful. And since hiking is one of my main ways of getting out into nature and doing my photography, I needed to see if there was a way to address my knee pain. And that's how I came across Chase's training programs through his YouTube channel called Chase Mountains. I completed one of his programs last year and my knees feel a heck of a lot better. So I wanted to bring him on the show to share his expertise on preparing your body for the mountains. So let me give you a brief background on Chase. Chase is an avid hiker with over eight years of experience as a certified strength and conditioning coach. In 2012, he founded Base Camp in Australia, which operated as a gym and mountain training camp to prepare Australians for overseas treks and climbs. And then to reach a wider audience, he's now expanded Base Camp to include online programs as well as his active YouTube channel called Chase Mountains. So, with a background in solving lifestyle based movement issues, like painful knees and tight hips, his goal is to enable people to stay free of pain and injury while hiking, skiing, and climbing well into old age. And so without further ado, please enjoy my conversation with Chase Tucker. Chase, welcome to the Outdoor Photography Podcast. Thank you so much for being here today. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for the invite. Of course. I'm really excited to have you on the show because, uh, in my opinion, outdoor photography requires two sets of skills, not just learning photography and the ins and outs of the creative process there, but also learning about how to be out in nature safely and comfortably. And one of my goals for Outdoor Photography School and this podcast is to help people gain the knowledge in both of these areas. Hmm. So... In the intro, I already gave a brief background on your bio, but for those listeners who are not yet familiar with your work, I was wondering if you could tell us a little bit more about your origin story, sort of where you're from, what you do, and how do you help people? Yeah, absolutely. So, I started in this game uh, in about 2012, and I started a business in Australia called Basecamp Adventure Fitness. And it was designed as a trek and climb preparation fitness business. Uh, and actually, we help people with all aspects of their preparation, be it mind, body, and gear. And around the same time, I started promoting on YouTube. I started a YouTube channel that's called Chase Mountains. And a couple of years ago, that really took off. And I moved to Spain and moved the entire business online. So on the YouTube channel, I 
create content that is based around preparing your mind, your body, and your gear for adventure. So you can get outside, challenge yourself, and grow from that experience. That's the whole deal. So they're the three things that I like to focus on. Yeah. And I, that's actually how I found you uh, was through your YouTube channel. And I can attest to the effectiveness of your programs as a, as a customer. Um, a couple of years ago, I busted my second ACL and had to get it you know, surgically repaired. And I was terribly out of hiking shape after that. And also because I had this crazy high demanding stress career that I eventually left and I was trying to get back into hiking and really struggling with it. And so I uh, came across your YouTube channel and ended up purchasing your Trek starter program, which I think maybe now is called Elements. Uh, yeah, well, it's a completely different program. But yeah, I recognize your name. When I got an email from you, I thought I recognized it. So I went back through my emails and saw that. Did you also do Mountain Strength as well? I purchased it. I didn't finish it because I ended up injuring myself. So <laughs> yeah, so that's been sort of a bummer. But we'll, we can get to that in a moment. But um, yeah. one of the things that I really liked about the uh, Trek Starter program anyways, which I think is how you you generally design your programs is that there's, you know, you, there's like a PDF that you download with the instructions and the step-by-step guide to the program. But then there's link to videos where you show people how to correctly do the exercises and you give a lot of details about how to hold positioning or where to focus your attention when you're doing the exercise. And I found that to be really valuable and I appreciated it. I could definitely see that difference of like, well, I know how to do a squat. I've done squats forever. And then I see you do it and how you explain it. And I'm like, that feels so much better. Yeah. <laughs> so, and those little details make a big difference. Yeah. The first programs that I brought out were entirely uh, photo-based and it just doesn't cut it. <laughs> There's not enough detail in a, in a two photos to give you enough detail to understand an exercise fully. So, uh, a couple of years ago, I s- decided to go a whole nother level and create uh, a unique video for every single exercise that is in the program. So there's a lot of detail and there's a huge focus on engaging the mind and the body and doing the exercise and, and getting the most out of it. And now what we're doing is rather than the PDFs, we're delivering the, the programs through an app platform. So that's a third party uh, other business that handles the tech side of things. And I just put my content into this app platform and it, it's a lot easier to follow actually than the PDFs that you were doing. So we'll have to get you a, an updated uh, version for you to try out. Oh, that'd be awesome. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I just, it was a four week program that I did. And like I went, like I said, I went from being terribly out of shape. I could only hike about a mile or two And over that four week program, I was able to do nine miles and much more comfortably. So, so that was, that was really encouraging. So for, for people who are just starting out in hiking or want to do, you know, take hiking a little bit more seriously when, when it comes to their photography, you know, what are some initial things that people can be thinking about in order to get our bodies ready for the trail and what we should be focusing on to prevent injury? Yeah. So I guess it really depends on what kind of resources you have around you. That's one of the initial questions that I ask people when they interact with my programs and they're not sure which one to buy. You know, if you live at the bottom of a mountain, then it makes sense to start (laughs) at the bottom of the mountain and actually make hiking a a large part of your training. But for most people, you know, they're living in a city and they don't have easy access or those environmental resources to be going out and doing 
that kind of regular activity. So for the most part, where I start or where I recommend people start is actually just starting on the floor uh, with no equipment and just getting to know your body and just starting that process of understanding how your body works and where some of your strengths and weaknesses may lie. And to be more specific, there's one of my videos on YouTube called The Daily Movement Practice for Hikers, and that is really designed to undo a lot of the lifestyle stress that we see from a life that is predominantly spent in a seated position, whether it's at the desk or on a couch. And that movement practice is designed to first undo a lot of those uh, limitations that come with a predominantly sedentary lifestyle. So my first task as a, as a strength coach is to help you discover and uh, identify those weaknesses and rectify those weaknesses so that it doesn't actually beca- become a problem when you do get out in the mountains and start to really challenge the body. Right. Yeah. And and I can attest to that too, in that I consider myself a fairly active person for the majority of my life. You know, I've played sports and I've always been into outdoors and hiking and biking and all of that. And yet still having, you know, 10 years of my life in a career in a largely desk-like position um, definitely set me up for a whole series of injuries thereafter that were not anything that I could have predicted, you know, like the injury I got last year was um, I was just doing lunges. So here I'm thinking I'm doing like a good thing for my body. I'm just doing some basic exercises and I ended up tearing, I think it's called the halicus flexor longus muscle in my foot. Um, So that's still kind of an an issue today, but, but it just, it, it's a good lesson to learn of like, you know, it's better to just keep in shape, you know, have something Mm. that's keeping you maintaining that balance between whatever sort of lifestyle we have that's sedentary versus the active lifestyle that we might want to have as well. And um, finding that balance. So it's not just like, well, here's my weekend. I'm going to go out and do all this fun stuff and end up injured, (laughs) you know? Mm. Yeah, a hundred percent. I think. If your if most of your movement comes down to getting up and down from a desk, you know Monday to Friday, and then you do go out and hike twenty miles or 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 even you know five miles with a pack on, then that's uh, there's a there's a time limit on on how long you're going to be able to do that because we need. Uh, we need to be accessing certain tissues and hydrating certain tissues by moving them throughout the week. Otherwise, by the time it gets it rolls around to the weekend, you'll find yourself quite kind of stiff and, and limited and more than likely will we'll end up with you being injured uh, and hopefully not injured <laughs> in the outdoors where, where it's going to be difficult for you, for you to get out. So, yeah, I mean, I... I've been doing this for almost a decade and it, my, my approach has changed dramatically from from when I first began. Uh, initially, it was like, uh, not like military style, but, you know, uh, I think I, I was, my mindset was, okay, let's get these people to, to really push their bodies and to uh, get as fit as possible in the shortest amount of time. Uh, and now the, now the approach is much more, what can we do to ensure that this person is able to hike or climb and get out into the outdoors 
when they're 70 or older, you know, so like working with a, with a, with a long-term perspective. So, which is, uh, you know, good, good for the person, but it's also good for business because I don't want to, I don't want to, I don't want to injure anybody. That's my, my first, uh, priority. And the, you know, the second priority is like making small, but important lifestyle changes that, that we can implement over a long period of time to eventually like feel better uh in your body and 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 feel more powerful and and more capable when you're outside yeah absolutely and i think that can help us focus better too on the task at hand which for many of us is you know taking images and so you know if we're not worrying about our backs and our hips and our knees and and what's hurting it's a lot easier to focus on finding the compositions and being creative as well Mm. yeah Absolutely. Yeah. So what are some, you know, I think a lot of us are coming from this, you know, desk job type of lifestyle. So what are some of the more common uh, muscle weaknesses that you see in some of your clients? The uh, Glutes. So your butt. <laughs> Funnily enough, you know, we're sitting on, sitting on our butt all day. Um, the glutes tend to get inactive and, and very weak. So, you know, squatting is a a great way to begin strengthening the glutes but it's also quite advanced um and if you have limitations in the hips one of the one of the other things that comes along with sitting all day is tightness in the in the hip flexors the muscles that uh, that help flex the hip and raise the knee so you think about every time you step up uh, a little higher on the mountain you need the hip to flex so those muscles become typically tight and weak Usually tightness and weakness goes together. So, yeah, weak glutes, um, tight and weak hip flexors, hamstrings are also uh, a big issue. And then from, you know, a very basic perspective, core strength, which is like something that no one wants to do, right? Right. (laughs) (laughs) Very, very few people enjoy core strength. Um, and I think that's probably to do with the fact that there's very few real beginner core routines that are good and, and free uh, on the internet for people to go and do. Yeah. Um, I Well, that's another thing that, that I've noticed over the last kind of decade of doing this is, you know, I, I would have thought by now that I'd be doing really advanced stuff, you know, and, and, and helping the people that I've been coaching become more and more advanced, but literally what's happened is is I've regressed and regressed and regressed and, and worked to develop even more and more and more basic exercises yeah. to enable the door, you know, the first door for people to be able to walk through because if they if they do something that's too advanced, you know, there's a lot of negative connotations with that. Like, oh, this is, you know, even if they did get through the workout, you know, the next day it's like, oh, I'm so damn sore that I can't, um, I can't go out and, you know, it's, it's a struggle for me to sit at the desk or sit down right. in the toilet or or even, you know, forget about going hiking. So, yeah, that, that's one thing that I've noticed over the last few years is I just keep creating things that are easier and easier and more accessible so that we have, uh, you know, a starting point for for anyone to, to begin with this because, yeah, I don't, I don't want to be in a position where I'm scaring people off with exercises that look incredibly... Uh, difficult and hard <laughs> right yeah. and inaccessible yeah right yeah yeah that makes a lot of sense 
And, and probably, you know, from, from your years of experience with working with people, you've identified different things that are those early stepping stones that are needed for mm. the more advanced things and, you know, sort of meeting people where they are, which is great. Yeah. 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 The two, the two big things like to further dive into the question that you asked earlier about the common things, the, the two most common syndromes are lower cross syndrome and upper cross syndrome. Um, which, yeah, you can easily uh, Google those and have a look, but it's basically a, you know, like a rounding of the shoulders um, and, and a, like a, a natural or an unnatural rotation of the hips where we become super tight through, through yes. our hip flexors. And, yeah. and then does that affect knee pain? Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think one of the most common causes of knee pain is uh, weakness in their outer glute muscles, so uh, the glute medius. That is one muscle that is causing a lot of people <laughs> a lot of dramas because it's hard to identify uh, first off, and then secondly, it's 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 not very well known how to train. So I've I've got a couple of videos. That's probably one exercise that I've shared a lot recently in a couple of different videos. Um, Side lying hip abduction. It's basically like it looks like something straight out of like a Jane Fonda eighties uh, aerobic. <laughs> in structure video but oh, it's it's such a powerful exercise and a lot of people have just commented on the video like oh, okay yep that was it it's fixed wow <laughs> but the thing but the thing is it's not it's not fixed forever it's fixed for like a week so you have to you know you have to keep doing it um and you know to build up a certain level of strength and and get to a, a point where you're maintain well not maintaining but like you've built up uh a, a certain level of strength to be able to enable you to do something pain-free so yeah. yeah yeah my you know personal journey with knee pain has been long because i i tore my first acl about 20 years ago and then my second one like two two years ago now and i just sort of started to think that okay i guess i'll just forever have painful knees like this is my new reality and you know maybe i'll get my knees replaced some decades down the road and i've sort of i had resigned myself to this new reality. But once I started to train better, which I really dedicated myself to this past year, I'm now hiking with no knee pain, pretty much like it's, it's mm. incredible, the change. Um, and uh, it really did come from focusing on my hips, which I never would have really put the two together, um, mm. that that strengthening my hips would have had a, that direct correlation to uh, reducing the pain in my knees. Mm. Yeah, hardly, hardly ever is the the side of the pain responsible for what's actually causing the problem, um, <laughs> because our bodies are like links in a chain, and and everything really is connected. You know, if you're experiencing hip pain, then uh, you know very well could be coming from the upper back uh, it could be coming from somewhere around your foot like it's it's really difficult to to be able to uh isolate these points of pain um so going through uh i guess a, a journey of like exploring your body and learning a little bit about anatomy and physiology is a, a really good way for you to take ownership of of your body rather than uh being reliant on i'm not saying like don't go to a doctor but what i am saying is like get to know your own body like you have to live in this thing for hope, hopefully 80 years like yeah <laughs> and the more the more that you know about it the 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 higher or better life quality you're going to have 
stuff. Yeah, yeah, for yeah. sure. So a lot of our, you know, photographers are um, carrying a lot of gear, as I'm sure your truckers that you train do as well. So, you know, our camera gear bags can be anything from 20 to 40 to p- pounds, depending on the type of photography that the person's doing. And so are there any ways that we could be training differently knowing that we're going to be carrying a lot of gear on our backs and hips is there anything that we should be keeping in mind around that yeah uh this is the thing about photography (laughs) if you're taking photos of uh other people like if you're taking photos of athletes like i always think about uh you know jimmy chin yeah whenever i see him i'm thinking like wow he has to be above the climber or, uh, you know, ahead of the person that he's taking a photo of. So it's almost like you need to be by default a a lot more capable than the people that you're out there with if you are photographing people in in nature. So, yeah, yeah, I guess it comes down to, uh, yeah, knowing your body better. But as you start to carry more gear, um, core, again, becomes more and more important, but also so does the smaller muscles that support your pack weight so uh the the, you know the more basic kind of exercises are great like pushing and pulling are the main ways that we can move our upper body but if you're only doing push-ups and rows then more than likely the the stronger muscles in the body are going to be doing the bulk of the work and i find that when i carry a heavy pack it's it's the smaller stabilizer muscles that end up fatiguing quicker because they're they're really forced into into doing the work because they're the muscles that stabilize us and when we're going over a difficult train and and when we're working with an unpredictable environment we have to be stable so it's a lot of you know stabilizing core stabilizing the upper upper back the thoracic kind of area and uh, and then there's always that that thing of uh, upper cross syndrome or uh, the way that we hunch forward uh, sitting at a desk. A lot of people will tend to adopt that pattern when they're walking. Hmm. So there's a whole set of different problems that come with come with that syndrome as well. So again, most of my focus in my programs is kind of getting you to be upright to stand or sit up a lot taller. You know, rolling the shoulders back and. Um, feeling more relaxed in, in your thoracic spine and also just like mobility of the spine as well. Yeah. There's, uh, there's a lot of movement that the spine can naturally do and unfortunately through the day-to-day, most people aren't moving their, moving their spine through like a full range of motion. You know, even I'm not um, and I'm doing some pretty wild stuff. <laughs> 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 um, so, yeah, it's, it's that um, – it's that little step by step journey of like gaining more gaining more range of motion and and then building strength within that range of motion but it takes a takes a long time yeah yeah sometimes i like to think of it as um you know just water dripping on a rock you know it, it mm. eventually does wear it down and you know you see the progress over time but it, each drop contributes mm. to that overall effect definitely so I've seen in some of your videos that you're, you know, you're hike with hiking poles um, and I've started to use them in my hiking as well, mostly for going 
downhill, but I often see people using them incorrectly. And so I was wondering if you could talk a little bit about what are some some simple tips that people can take on uh, how to use hiking poles correctly. The first thing I would say is that the strap is so important. It's a it's a really important part of the of the pole. Um, I have a whole video of, of this that I you know, we'll do a much better job of explaining it. It's on YouTube. If you just Google how to use strapping poles, it should come up. But the, oh, it's kind of really hard to explain on a podcast, but yeah, just go watch the video. You can see how to use the strap. Um, but I'll say like in a, in a very, very general sense, uh, I the, the way that I find them really useful is for propulsion. Okay. And so I have a lot of people who kind of uh, make fun of me because, you know, I've been using poles since I was in my, I don't know, early 20s. Uh, and I, I found them very useful uh, from a, a very young age. And a lot of people kind of don't understand why I'm using them. They think I am have maybe balance issues or something like that. But for me, primarily, they're, they're a way of pushing me forward and and propelling myself so i do a little bit of cross-country skiing Mm -hmm. and i like to kind of just imagine that i've got skis on my feet when i'm hiking and i lean forward slightly and that uh poles are just there to aid my propulsion interesting so um the, the 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 way you place the pole is is kind of crucial as well the angle of the pole as you're placing it that's also important because if you just kind of if you're placing it what I see a lot of people do is they're like reaching out quite far in front of them and placing the pole vertically, which doesn't give you any kind of mechanical advantage, right? So if you're right. if you if you're angling the pole and you're placing it sort of closer to where you land your foot strike, then you're then you're able to realistically use them in a very similar way that you would use with with ski poles. Okay, yeah, that and, makes sense. And I think that that's probably how trekking poles have evolved they've come from uh you know nordic skiing uh cross-country skiing and it's probably evolved into into the the hiking and trekking world from from that i think and that is got a lot to do with that propulsion thing that i was that i was speaking of rather than using them as a uh a balance aid or something to save you when you're falling which you know they're also great for right but for for me it's mainly propulsion so then what about coming down down a mountain the same yeah coming down is uh i mean it depends how fast you're coming down some a lot of the time when i'm coming down a mountain really rapidly they're just there to aid in the Certain there's certain little areas where I place the pole to almost put the brakes on a little bit, or just aid me in balance to be able to go smoothly over the surface that I'm walking over. Sometimes, if I'm if I've got like a a strong pole, not like a not like a trail running pole, but a really good strong trekking pole, I'll almost use them like pole vault. <laughs> kind of mm. imagine that I'm like placing all of my like my feet are off the ground, and I'm kind of zooming through the air, if you will, and the pole is just kind of guiding me, uh, guiding my weight as I'm moving over the rock. So, yeah, there's, uh, I'm glad you asked that question because it's forcing me to think about it. Because <laughs> yeah. so, so, so much of it is just uh, uh, muscle memory now. But if you're, if you're just hiking, if you're not coming down fast, then, yeah, that's very, very useful for taking load off the knee joint 
um, just giving your knees a little bit of a break because we know that the knees get absolutely pounded on the on the downhill. That's where a lot of people will, will suffer yeah. uh, knee pain when they're when they're coming downhill. So yeah, it does add a, a bit of a kind of braking element, but also like a, a postural element as well, like kind of keeping you keeping you upright, uh, allowing your room and your thoracic your upper upper chest allowing you to be able to breathe that's uh another thing on the on the uphill i've noticed especially i've been to nepal uh quite a few times and noticing people who are often you know new to the hiking world and new to the trekking pole world they're kind of quite hunched over and that's going to affect how much you're breathing and if you're not taking good deep deep diaphragmatic breaths at altitude then altitude becomes even more <laughs> kind of oppressive and yeah. it just it makes you uh it's not it's not going to help you have a good time if you're not <laughs> if you're not breathing deeply so that's yeah. another thing that i notice about the way people use poles so it definitely helps keep you your, your spine in a more upright position so that your chest is more open mm. yeah i think i think so i think it's a good reminder uh like it's a good cue for the body to kind of keep you keep you upright yeah yeah, yeah. Yeah, but that does take a little bit of learning and that's why I made that video um, and because I think there's a lot of people that have probably just tried poles once and just been like, oh, this is just another thing that I have to carry and I don't, and I don't find it that useful, but it is really something that you have to learn. I mean, some people pick it up straight away, but it's um, for the most part, I think it's useful to at least watch a, a, a little video on how to use them to get get the most out of them. Yeah, yeah, I'll be sure to link that video in the in the show notes because I think it is helpful to. Um, I think I, w- I was definitely one of those people who didn't want to use hiking poles because I thought again it was just another thing to carry. But now that I am using them um, and getting more comfortable with them, it, they do make a big difference in mm. my comfort and and speed. And um, yeah, having them at the right height and right placement, you know, it's such a tiny little thing, but it makes a mm. huge difference. Yeah, I will say that it does become it does become annoying if you're a photographer. Though I can understand why photographers wouldn't want to use them because, I mean, I'm I'm out you know using I mainly do video, but yeah, it does become a little bit annoying. Sometimes I'll end up using one pole and I have a camera in the other hand if I'm doing a lot of filming or, or shooting. But yeah, yeah. It it's, it's like an octopus. <laughs> yeah, yeah, need an extra hand. It's yeah, pros and pros and cons of everything, I guess. Right. <laughs> So since we're talking about gear, just I was curious about your recommendations around hiking boots, because I feel like there's a lot of uh, debate out there whether, you know, you should be using a stiff soled boot or whether there are other people who do like barefoot hiking and want really low profile shoe. And I didn't know if you had any opinions on that. Oh, yeah, I've got all the opinions. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And I I honestly do. it, It really depends. I think firstly, it will depend on your environment. Like if there's a certain uh, level of ruggedness that you need, if you're in, you know, alpine snowy environments, um, like I, I'm, I'm personally a, a fan of the barefoot kind of movement and the and the culture around that, which is essentially enabling the body to move in its most natural way. Um, and that there's a, a good amount of scientific evidence to suggest that that's useful for for humans um having said that i've got barefoot boots and i probably wouldn't take them to alaska right yeah <laughs> you know what i mean because you know the harsher the environment the more 
rigidity you'll want and need. Um, perhaps you'll need more stability. Certainly, if you're moving over snow, then you'll need like a, a good, a sharp, hard edge on the boot to enable you to like get a good grip in snow. Yeah. So yeah, I, I have. I only have like three or four different pairs of boots now in terms of hiking boots, but I, you know, I'll cycle through them depending on what kind of terrain I'm going over. But in general, I think uh, I think it's far more more important to do the vast majority of your, you know, walking around home or um, walking around town in in a minimal style shoe. And I certainly wouldn't be recommending that anyone goes into barefoot hiking or barefoot style shoes to go hiking until they've done a good amount of time walking uh, in a barefoot style shoe just around the city because it takes a long time for the body to adapt to or, you know, readapt to this more kind of natural style of walking. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, the the my main issue that I have with, you know, these sleek kind of modern hiking boots and a lot of them kind of come out uh, come out of Europe. Like the, what I find about the boots here in Europe is that they are built on a really narrow last. So the last is essentially like the footprint of the shoe. And what I like is to enable the the toes to spread out uh, and really have a lot of room. Yeah, like not everyone likes that, but that's what I find is, is much. I feel much more stable, uh, and I feel like I get a lot more engagement and a lot more kind of spring from from my arch when I've got a, a shoe that enables the foot to do its natural job, rather than you know holding it in this cage and forcing it to move in a in a way that, from my perspective, is is unnatural. Yeah, that but, makes sense. Yeah, but having said that, I mean, like, I do <laughs> I haven't lately, but I do uh, a bit of mountaineering usually, and you know, you, you don't get barefoot mountaineering boots. Right. <laughs> so, <laughs> no thing. so yeah, there's a certain amount of give and take that has to be has to be uh, there, I think. And again, like I said, yeah, your environment again is super important. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. So one question I get a lot on, uh, I have a YouTube channel as well, whether I'm comfortable hiking alone, uh, which I do do a lot of, that's sort of my preferred mode. Um, so I'm curious whether you have any sort of basic safety recommendations you have for people who who want to hike alone and maybe are not that comfortable doing so yet. Mm, yeah, I think the first thing would be to, especially if you're in a, a really wild environment with not so much uh, you know easy access to get out of the the environment that you're in then you should probably have a safety device like a GPS one off the top of my head is Garmin inReach they make a, a good little GPS safety unit which will allow you to contact friends and family or emergency services to get an evac if it's necessary I think that's like the best investment you could make in in your safety if you're out there. I mean, even if you're out there with two people, it's really difficult to get someone out. Um, I've had a couple of instances where we've been out uh, in in the bush or the wilderness and found someone or someone in our group has been incapacitated, incapacitated in some way and it's horrendously difficult to get someone out, yeah. of, uh, out of the environment. So, yeah, the easiest, the easiest way is a helicopter. 
<laughs> so <laughs> yeah, it's tough. Um, but there's a lot of good survival stories out there where people make it <laughs> make it out under their own steam. You'd be surprised what the human body is capable when it's really necessary. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. Um, what was the question? Oh yeah. So um, yeah, getting a um, a device that enables you to communicate with someone. I mean, if if you're in an area where you have phone reception, then that's obviously not so important. But if you're in, you know, true wilderness that doesn't have a, a cell service, then something like a uh, an inreach is a, a really good kind of safety. Uh, kind of, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? It's like a fallback option. Yeah, like a insurance, uh, yeah. keep insurance yeah, yeah. or whatever. Safety net. That's the word. Safety net. There you go. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. You can feel a lot more confident, and you know pushing the limits a little bit if you've got something like that to to fall back upon. Have you ever had any you know interactions with other people that have not been so positive on the trail? I mean, I think that's one thing that some people worry about is uh, being alone and then, you know, running into ill-intentioned people and how to handle that. Uh, so people that don't necessarily approve of me being alone or what do you, what do you mean? Well, just sort of um, like if you're, if you're hiking alone and you run into someone who might be, you know, not on the up and up, um, mm. how do you, have you ever had an interaction like that? I, I personally haven't, thankfully, mm. um, but I, I have heard of people being sort of afraid of that. Like I'm more afraid of, you know, running into, I guess, a situation like that than I would be a bear, for instance. Mm. Um, and, uh, I just didn't know with your experience on the trail, if you've ever had how common that is or, um, like for someone that like running into someone that's not doing well physically or not doing well. No, mentally. sorry. I mean, somebody, somebody who means you harm. Oh no, 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 I've never oh, good. experienced okay. any of that. No, thankfully. Yeah. Um, that's good. At least not from my, I mean, no, so I don't think so. I, is that is that a common thing in this in the states? I, I mean, like I said, I've not run into it myself, but um, maybe you know, as a woman hiking alone, that sometimes mm. is a, another concern. Um, yeah. And so I've had questions uh, about that, about how how do I feel safe? You know, what do I do to feel safe on the trail? And I think it's you know being comfortable in my own abilities and you know knowing where the risk line is. You know whether to take any chances while out hiking alone from a search and rescue sort of standpoint. You know where the inreach device and things like that can help out a lot. Um, so there's like the the physical dangers, I guess, of being alone mm. uh, hiking. But then there's also, I think there are people who are concerned about running into other people on the trail who might not be the nicest of uh, companions <laughs> and yeah. feeling sort of a personal safety issue with that and how to, mm. how to combat that. So I think sometimes, you know, maybe having some comfort with how to talk to people like that or maybe doing some personal defense training would be helpful i don't really know but uh mm. but i'm glad to hear that you haven't run into anything like that so it's yeah. probably not that common i mean it's also it's a it's a big difference between being being a guy unfortunately like uh, i would be if i was to put my shoes uh, myself in the shoes of a solo female hiker then i would certainly have to think about that it's at some stage you know unfortunately yeah. but um you know, for anyone who is new to hiking, what I would say is that that kind of thing is increasingly rare. I mean, one of one of the things that I enjoy about the outdoors is that it attracts genuinely great people. Maybe it even shapes 
genuinely great people. So, yeah. I mean, for sure, there's I've heard stories of you know people on the Appalachian Trail that kind of run into some freaky characters. It certainly does happen, but I think it's I think it's pretty rare. And and honestly, the the further you get away from society, the less and less likely you are to encounter anyone or or someone like that. So yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so that sort of brings us into the next topic I wanted to discuss with you, which is, you know, obviously um, getting into shape to trek in the big mountains and, and everything requires a lot of physical training and and has a lot of physical benefits. But I was wondering if you could talk a little bit about the ways in which you've seen spending time in nature help with people's mental health as well. Yeah, uh, I when I, when I started doing what I do, uh, I began in Australia. Um, we had a business called Basecamp Adventure Fitness, and we were predominantly training people for to go on trek in Nepal or um, Kokoda or Kilimanjaro or something like that. And it was often their first experience doing something like this. And there was obviously a physical component of the training through Monday to Friday, but on the weekends, I would actually be guiding trips and take people out into the into the outdoors. So I've seen huge transformations in people from, you know, city-bound folks that haven't had opportunity or the access to, to get out into nature and then, you know, we go on a trip just outside of the city and then a couple of months later they'll go somewhere like somewhere incredible like the Himalayas mm. and they really, I mean, not everybody, but a lot of them experience a deep and kind of profound change in themselves from that from that experience. Maybe it's going to a developing nation and just kind of realizing how lucky you are, or maybe it's just being around eight thousand meter peaks and just realizing how how like tiny and insignificant you are. Yeah, I don't know, I don't know what it is, but it, it's definitely something that I've noticed over the over the years. But it is also something that's like it's impermanent as well. Like you, you're not going to be permanently changed forever just because you go to India and see the the Ganges, or you know, it's 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 something that it's like a muscle that you have to train being being out being outside and uh, absorbing nature and being being present. Something that we I I think that is incredibly important to humans and that that we should do as often as as possible. Yeah. And I think that's, you know, being present is something that is required of us to be out in nature in a in a safe way as well. And that you have to be paying attention to your footing. If you're doing photography, you're looking for compositions. You know, for me anyway, it makes all the difference to slow down and be in that moment. And that is when I feel like the magic starts to happen with finding compositions and that sort of thing. If I'm just sort mm. of out there, um, and my mind is racing and I'm really kind of elsewhere, then I'm going to miss all the, all the details of compositions that aren't that obvious. Um, so I, I think that uh, spending time in nature can help a lot with practicing that mindfulness and, and being present in the moment. And I think that also has some direct health benefits too. Absolutely. Yeah. The thing about uh, like capturing images it's it is a double edged sword because you do have to be um, mindful 
when you're out there to be able to, you know, notice the beauty in nature. But at the same time, I get a lot of questions about, oh, didn't, don't you feel like the videos that you're, that you've made on your trips have like taken you out of that, um, experience or distracted you from actually being there and yeah there is some truth to that but i think when you're when you're outside and you're enveloped in nature and you see beautiful things i think the important thing is to see and appreciate it first and just like enjoy that moment and then capture it yeah. if there's uh you know something like a sunset when you know the light's disappearing quickly there's always a bit of um you know an- like you have anxiety about oh okay can to get the camera out quickly set up the shot uh do you feel that sometimes like yes <laughs> like you're, on, sure. you're on the clock yeah 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 exactly and that's that's one reason why i mean like i said i have a youtube channel as well where i teach photography and um my most popular videos are the ones where I've been out in the field and, you know, I take people on trail with me and show them my, my process, but those are also the ones that are the most difficult to make. <laughs> and so yeah, yeah. I haven't been able to do them as frequently as I would like. Um, mm. And, and part of that is just because of now I have a, a two-year-old daughter. And so she takes up a lot of my time. <laughs> and yeah. uh, so, you know, life is a little bit different for me now than it was a couple of years ago, but I have found that, uh, you know, if this is my day to go out and do photography, I often am debating about whether to bring the video camera along and make a tutorial because mm. it's my chance to get out. And then the other part of me is like, yeah, but this is my chance to get out and, and do my own photography, you mm. know, and, and really have that moment to connect with nature and, uh, and be out there fully immersed and not worrying about a B-roll shot and, mm you know, moving the camera 10 feet ahead and then walking and then going back and getting it. Like it's, it's a remarkable how long, you know, a 10 minute tutorial can take to make as I'm sure you, cause you have great B-roll in your videos too. And in, when I watch them, I have a, as a creator, I have a whole appreciation and perspective on how much effort goes into creating those videos. Um, so yeah, I think for me, I've, I've, I have started to sort of separate the two and, you know, this is the day I'm going to go create a video or this is a day that I'm going to go do photography just for me and and mm. be out in nature because that's what I need right now and not worry about producing content from that. Mm. Yeah. I think I need a few of those as yeah. well. I, I haven't actually been out. I haven't been able to leave the city for about eight weeks now because we're in lockdown. Oh, man. Um, and I think the first trip that I do, as soon as I can go out, I just want to go like... I'll take a camera for photos, but I don't think I'm going to do any video. I think there's a, there is a big difference between, you know, having a camera and just snapping a, a couple of nice shots and then doing the whole documenting the whole thing through video. There's a yeah, it's a big difference, and it it is yeah, it's yeah, mentally also like physically exhausting sometimes. Yeah, to get all the to capture the capture the whole thing. I think I'll be doing one at least one trip on my own just for me to appreciate as soon as I can. Yeah. Yeah. That sounds like a good idea. So how has the pandemic affected your work this year and and will it change how you do things in the future once it's, you know, safe to travel again? Yeah. When it first kicked in, um, it was an interesting time actually, because I was just about to release Elements, which is a no equipment program. Mm Mm-hmm. And it it was kind of it was a real stroke of luck because it literally was released um, early March when when the pandemic really hit and it was incredible timing. 
because because a lot of people were you know gyms were closed and and so it, yeah that was excellent timing so in that respect it was it was great and then there was also maybe a little bit of a boost from YouTube because people couldn't get out so I was like oh maybe I'll watch a video of hiking instead of go, instead of going hiking so that was perhaps um, useful but on the whole it's it's made it difficult for me to go out and create content um, the one thing I wanted to do was to be able to go out and do some alpine climbing and some skiing because I bought a pair of skis maybe uh, four weeks before the pandemic hit and I only got to use them like twice. <laughs> so I was like, oh, I was hoping I could, re- I was really hoping that I could go skiing this winter, but I have not um, been able to. So that's been a bit of a bummer. But I mean, yeah, it's, it, it's, it's helped as much as it's hindered, I think. Um, I, I think there's also been a, a huge increase in just people who are into hiking because for whatever reason, you know, maybe you can't go to the cinema or can't go to a concert and do what you would usually do. People are looking outside for other ways to entertain themselves and hiking's been one of those things. So we've had a, I think there's been a, and it's not just because of the pandemic, I think like in the last kind of three years, uh, there's been like a, a big kind of increase in interest in hiking. Yeah. So, which which is great, but it also comes comes with its problems as well because you have new people that don't uh, aren't too familiar with uh, norms of of how to handle waste and how to handle trip planning and lots of other different things that we have to take into account when we go go outdoors. So. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, that's you know something that I'm grappling with as well. And that is, I want to encourage people to get out and connect with nature. I feel like that's a basic need that we should all do um, is reconnect with nature. Remember that we're part of it and, and through that, hopefully gain an appreciation for and, and uh, perspective on how we should be more responsible and, and how to take care of it. But an unintended consequence of you know, uh, encouraging more people to get out into nature is that it can quickly become overused and destroyed just by the amount of people who are out there. And so how do we balance that out, you know, wanting to help people connect with nature more, but also provide information around how to make sure that we're, we're not destroying it in the process. And as landscape photographers, we're, we're dealing with that a lot too, about things like sharing locations and, um, you know, then there's a flood of people that want to go photograph that waterfall or mountainside or whatever. And and now the trail is abused and, you know, people aren't using leave no trace principles or whatever. So it's definitely, definitely a tough balance because, you know, I think you and I are on the same page where we want more people to be out in nature, but we also don't want the nature to get a dis- to be destroyed as a result. So sort yeah. of a how do we balance that out? Yeah, I guess as a YouTuber, or like anyone that has a any kind of platform, whether it be big or small, I think it's there's a certain amount of responsibility that falls on us. Not that I'm like an influencer or anything. <laughs> well, I guess I am. But um, if you have a the bigger your platform, the more important it becomes uh, to, in a way, educate people about those practices, which are important to sustainability and uh, and conservation and then it's a tricky way how do we do it without coming across um like your uh, mansplaining to someone how to 
how to poop in the woods or uh, how to, you know, deal with your other, you know, trash and waste and all that kind of thing. It's it's a tricky thing to navigate. Actually, I haven't done a video on that. I've been thinking about it for a while, but thankfully there is like 10 different videos yeah. <laughs> on that subject on YouTube already. So, yeah. Yeah. I'm going to find a way how to make that entertaining uh, right. <laughs> and watchable. Yeah. <laughs> But yeah, the the one thing I know, I I hiked across Spain uh, this summer. Thankfully, there was a, a trough between two big waves of COVID, and things kind of calm calmed down in the summer. And yeah, there's one quite popular spot along the trail that uh, that I noticed. That I, you know, there's lots of cars, and then lots of toilet paper, and you, could, you literally you could smell it. You could smell the car park from probably about fifty yards away. Oh man. Um. So I was, you know, and that was one of the more picturesque kind of areas of, of the route that I was hiking. And I couldn't wait to get out of there because it was just like, it was packed. I think it was a long weekend or something as well. And it was just like, it is, it's frustrating, but it's like, okay. Yeah. <laughs> and you do, yeah. You don't want to come across like you're the person that knows everything and you have to, okay, kitties, this is how you deal with your stuff in the outdoors but yeah there has to be a certain level of um, education and I think like outdoor education for kids uh, and like immersing kids in the outdoors is I think if I had a, another career path or <laughs> if I could do life over again maybe I'd like to do that that would be a, a really valuable um, way to contribute to society I think like getting kids outside and teaching them just teaching them outdoors you know yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Very rewarding. Instill those values at a young age. Mm. Yeah, I agree with that. So just before, uh, you know, we're going to wrap things up here pretty soon. Are you up for doing like a lightning round? Like a bunch of yeah. quick questions? Yeah. Shoot. Yeah. So, you know, no overthinking it. Just the first thing that comes to mind. Yeah. So um, where is your favorite place to hike? Tasmania. All right. <laughs> that's, where I was, that's where I was born. Oh, that's nice. One piece of gear you can't live without. Socks. <laughs> yeah. Any kind of socks. <laughs> yeah, uh, I just posted a huge video on that. But yes, I, the one thing I'll just say, socks are way more important than what most people give them credit for. I think like probably the most overlooked piece of, of hiking equipment out there, I think. Interesting. Yeah. Mm. I just love a good pair of socks. Yeah, <laughs> that makes sense. I mean, hiking with blisters is the worst. So, yeah. Yeah. Um, what's your favorite trail food? Oh, I like dates and prunes. I bet that keeps you regular. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> if I'm not noticing, that's probably a good thing. Right. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. <laughs> um, what? Peaks or treks are still on your bucket list? Hmm. Lots of different stuff. I There is um, one mountain here in the Pyrenees called Pico de Estats. It's on the border of Catalonia, which is the state that I'm living in, and Andorra, which is this funny little country in the Pyrenees that's uh, kind of like a tax haven. It's like this weird agreement between Spain and France and France itself. So... Peak of the States, it's called. And it's it's not a big deal or anything, but it's like one of the most emblematic mountains in uh, in the area that I'm living in. And just because of the what I've been dealing with over the last few years, it's it's uh, 
made it impossible for me to go. And back in Tasmania, where I grew up, there was a there's a mountain called Federation Peak, and I think it's pretty well kind of known as like one of the most hardest uh, or difficult mountains to summit in Australia. And I got within maybe 50 meters of the summit a few years ago and there was a big storm and I had to turn around and oh man I, I got maybe like an hour down the ridge and the clouds opened up and the sun came out and I was like, oh, oh, God. God. <laughs> oh. so yeah and I I probably could I, I now that I think about it, I probably could have just like literally turned around um just gone to the summit and come back but for whatever reason I didn't um and so that's that's still on the list for me, as, as, as well as many other things. A similar thing happened to me uh, on Amadablam in, in Nepal a few years ago. Uh, I got relatively close to the summit um, and then had to turn around because of weather. So, yeah. <laughs> I, think I've, I think I've not climbed more mountains than I have climbed. <laughs> it's been like more failure than... And success. Well, that sounds like a, a true mountaineer. <laughs> yeah, I mean, the, the harder the harder stuff you do, the less likely you are to succeed. It's kind of part part of the deal. But um, as long as you enjoy the process, it's not it's not a problem. Right. Yeah. Exactly. Uh, well, so my last question is: What does connecting with nature mean to you? Hmm. I think the closest thing that I have to to nature is. Like me, this is like my body. I think it's, I think it's a common uh, misconception that we're that humans are apart from nature. Like we're somehow uh, living outside of it. But no matter where you're living, if you look around, you see a you see a bug or a bird. You realize that you, you're in nature all the time. <laughs> like just because you're in the city doesn't mean it's not nature. Like you're still. You're still on planet Earth. Like you are still a part of it. It's all coexisting around us constantly. So for me, uh, connecting to the way that I connect to nature is through my body. Um, and I, I think that's how everyone does it. <laughs> I don't think there's any other kind of way around it. So for me, it's about deepening that connection, mind-body connection, mm-hmm. uh, that enables me to go out and truly experience what would be described as, you know, real nature, <laughs> wilderness and, and whatever. And the, what I'm finding is that the more that I establish that connection and, and gain a, a deeper understanding of that connection between the mind and the body is that that enhances my connection to nature even more so that I'm able to feel more present and kind of have a richer experience when I'm when I'm actually in real nature. Right. Yeah. yeah. That makes a lot of sense. I love that. Mm. So do I. <laughs> <laughs> well, this has been a lot of fun. I'm I'm really glad that we got to chat today. I really appreciate you taking the time to chat on the podcast. And um I'll put all of the, you know, the links that we talked about in the show notes for this episode. But if people wanted to learn more about your programs or other work that you're doing, what's the best way for them to uh, find you? Uh, just go to YouTube and type in Chase Mountains and then one of my videos will come up, hopefully. Uh, but if you're interested in the trekking pole thing, that's my biggest video. So if you type in tre- trekking poles, I, I should come up. It's an old video, but I think it's still pretty good. Yeah. 
but that's probably the best way. Yeah, go and um, there are a couple of there's a couple of follow along routines if people are interested in the uh, in the mind body connection fitness thing, then they can like just hit play and do what I do, and I kind of talk you through it. So that's a, that's a really good way to. I've got a core video, I've got a lower body video, so they're they're the best places to start with the fitness side of things. But there's also you know a lot of mind mind and gear videos on there as well. So that's the best place to start. And then your website is basecamptraining.com.au. Yeah. Still got a Australian uh, <laughs> email address, uh, Australian domain. Yeah. Yeah. Great. Well, I will definitely you know, put all those links in the show notes so that people can find them easily and, and connect with you and check out your videos and everything and your new elements program uh, if they want to get started and in getting into hiking shape with no equipment. Yeah. We've all had to get a little creative on that end. Yeah. And that's uh, that's part of the joy of it. I think like it, it's been really eye opening to me to like be forced away from the weights in a way or like forced away from gyms and to be able to um or to have to explore ways in which to strengthen the body with nothing right so yeah i mean there's a limit to it and to how far you can go there's you know certain amount of equipment that is important to some extent but that's only when you become like quite strong that you actually need equipment there's a, there's a lot of strengthening you can do with nothing. Yeah. So, yeah. It's been a fun journey. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Well, thank you so much, Chase. I really appreciate it. Not a problem. Never turned down an opportunity to talk about myself for an hour. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Thanks for inviting me on. Yeah. No problem. And I'll, I'll see you online. All right. Thanks. All right. Take care. Thank you. All right. I hope you enjoyed that interview with Chase Tucker. Again, you can find out more about his programs at basecamptraining.com.au. And I highly recommend you check out his instructional videos over at Chase Mountains on YouTube. Again, thank you, Chase, for coming on the show. And thank you, listeners, for sticking around to the end. I appreciate you. And I hope you got a lot of value out of today's episode. If you want to get the links and other information we mentioned, just head over to the show notes, which you can find at outdoorphotographyschool.com forward slash episode three. We have several exciting guests coming up on the podcast, including fine art, landscape and nature photographer Brenda Tharp, who is passionate about sharing her love of and respect for the natural world through her images, educational offerings and workshops. And we also have wildlife conservation photographer Jamie Heimbuck, who specializes in conservation photography education to teach photographers how to use their images to tell stories with impact. So be sure to subscribe to the podcast so you don't miss out on these great conversations and I'll be back here next week with a tidbit Tuesday episode where I'll also be answering a couple of your submitted questions if you would like to submit a question to be answered on tidbit Tuesday just go to outdoorphotographyschool.com forward slash podcast and you will be able to record your short message till then get outside my friends and find yourself a little nature take care <laughs>